And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me pray, Lord, on this Sunday, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and welcome, especially if you're visiting, maybe for the first time or uh, again, it's great to have you with us. Um, it's, um, we've, I, we're just aware as a staff that we've had a number of people just come and visit and uh, usually there's a follow-up conversation over coffee where someone says, what is it we've come to? You know, tell me what's going on. This is so different than anything I've ex- experienced, what's, what's happening. And, and um, in our world, that is the Anglican world, we are part of an entity called the Anglican Mission in America. And there are a number of things that are unique about us, despite our charming looks and our wit and our uh, uh, satire, you know, our humor and all that stuff. Uh, the main thing is, is that we, um, what we aim to do is um, have what we call three-stream worship, which is where we elevate and hold together three things, which are the scriptures. And what we mean by the scriptures is we seek to read and treat the scriptures the way Jesus did, to live our lives um, marked by God's presence with the spirit of God the way that Jesus did, and to follow the sacramental patterns of life that have been handed down to us from, from the church. And, um, and what we say is, as we seek to do life the way Jesus did, we're aware, and this is our vision statement, that as we behold Jesus in worship, um, mo- you know, when we come together, but also when we're on our own, dispersed throughout the city, throughout the week, as we behold Jesus, we are become shaped by him into his likeness, and what happens to us as a result is that we become fully human. We become more like the people we were always designed to be. And so bear that all in mind as we look at our passage this morning from uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Three verses, and uh, let's just look at those briefly. Those of you, the scholars among us, will know that Matthew's Gospel is different from the others in that it has um, a few um, themes that, that just aren't in the other ones because of who wrote it. And the person who wrote Matthew's gospel, the, the great surprise there was a man named Matthew, who was an outsider. And so one of the distinctive themes of Matthew's gospel is that he is seeking to let the outsiders know that they are not beyond the reach of God. Why is that there? Well, Matthew is a tax collector. He was someone who worked alongside the Romans with the system that oppressed the people of Israel. And to Matthew's great surprise, Jesus wanted to spend time with him. And so because he was an outsider, one whom the culture judged determined he didn't have a place in God's presence, we have here that he is showing us that Jesus' work was primarily to go and to condemn the religious establishment 
and to bring those in need of the gospel of Jesus' love to into the reach of, 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 uh, of God's presence. So here we have verse 35. If you've got your bulletin there, it'll just help you. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, if you, are, um, if you have your Bibles with you and you turn to Matthew 9, you'll see that this is a summary statement and that Matthew 9 is filled with all kinds of kingdom activity. He heals a paralytic. He has the encounter with Matthew. He's then questioned about fasting because they're trying to figure out where he stands. Um, he then raises a girl from the dead and heals a sick woman. He heals the blind and the mute. And then we come to this bit. Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating it with healing. One thing that Jesus does in all four gospels and he's doing here that Matthew is making particular emphasis on is that Jesus moves into chaos to do one thing, to bring God's blessing. He's moving into chaos to bring about the shalom of God, which isn't just peace, not just an end of conflict, but to understand shalom, it's, it's the abundant, exuberant blessing of God that brings about so much peace that your relationships are healed, you're reconciled, you're, it's, it's, to quote Bill and Ted, it's excellent adventure, it's epic awesomeness. That's the shalom of God. That's what Jesus, Jesus is doing. Now you may ask, well, why, where's the chaos when you're sick? And when you're diseased, well, let's just put, a, put aside the experience of suffering and sickness, and let's just think about the purity laws that were in existence at the time of Jesus' day. They dictated who was able and in good standing to be in God's presence. So if you were sick, if you had eczema, if you had something wrong with you, you couldn't get close to God. It's not so much that your condition could infect others. It's not like, you know, we need to COVID test to make sure we can come into the presence of others. But it was believed that your condition could prevent God from bringing his blessing to bear on the people if you were present. He could ruin it for everyone. In the back of our bulletin, you'll see our vision statement and our vision of values. And you'll see that there's absolutely no reference to any of that in our vision of values. You can't ruin it for anyone. Because the, the belief, the false belief, is that we had to do our bit to get to God. And what Jesus is showing us, what Matthew's showing us in his gospel, is that Jesus has come to us. And so what Jesus is doing as he moves into the chaos of sickness and disease and death and brings about the shalom of God, he brings the blessing of God and it transforms the chaos into the order of Jesus' kingdom. And the first thing that happens is the isolated are now in community. The isolated are now in community. And then the supernatural stuff happens and it's, 
oh wow, he really is God. Why does he do it though? And this is where verse 36 is so helpful. So look down with me in your, in your bulletin to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is motivated by compassion. It's compassion all the way. To say that he has a bleeding heart is to miss the point entirely because he was willing to have his body broken out of compassion so that the people who were responsible for his death could come under the blessing of God. Jesus takes upon himself what the world deserves, what I deserve, I really deserved it. On an average day, maybe not, yeah, I still deserve it, right? Takes it upon himself so that I can then be free to receive what was only reserved for Jesus as the perfect son of God. Motivated by compassion. But he's also motivated by justice. And if you were in the first century listening to Jesus say this, it would, and you were involved in any kind of religious activity, this would have been the most incredible indictment because it's a specific reference. He had compassion for them because they, har- they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's a direct reference to what happens after the destruction of the temple and the people of Israel are taken into exile. Their whole paradigm for how they could connect with God is destroyed, the temple's gone, and they are taken by force out of the land of promise. Their leadership is kaput, and they are at the hands of people who don't understand their way of life. They are harassed and helpless. And so what Matthew's saying here is that the way that the religious system of the day has gotten it so wrong is that it was, it's today, even though they're back in Jerusalem, they're back in Israel, even though the temple's been rebuilt, even though worship has resumed, it's as bad as if they were in exile. It's what the kids today call an epic fail. They've missed it. They've missed it entirely. Verse 37, then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The reason why the indictment is so strong against the the religious system is because in order to get closer to God, the the religion, the Pharisees have created more and more outsiders. And it's the opposite flow of the kingdom. And so Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. Verse 37, 38. And I don't know about you, and I presume you're probably in my boat if you've heard a sermon on this before. I've always heard this passage used as a reference for the need of more more preachers, more priests, more missionaries, more volunteers in church. We need to maximize the opportunities uh, you know, generate incredible programs that will reach the lost and the harvest will be the salvation of souls. That's part of it. 
but it's missing the references, in my opinion. We can have this conversation if you'd like to talk about it later. It's, um, but harvest is an image used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament um, to indicate, you know, there, there are certain things out of our control. We can plant the seeds, we can water. I don't know if there are anybody, anybody here from farmers, but farmer stock, but you know, there's, there are no atheist farmers because they know they could do their bit, but there, there's an element of, of what they do that is beyond their control. So for the harvest to be plentiful means that something is present. And to the hearers of Jesus' day, that what was present was God's blessing. God's, bl- God's blessing is present because the, the harvest is plentiful. God's blessing is on the harvest and it's overflowing. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Who's the laborer that went out into the harvest? Ruth. She went out into the harvest, why? To glean the leftovers. She was destitute in need and they would leave, the belief was there was more than enough for everyone. And so we're not gonna bring everything in, we're gonna leave some out there for those in need to come and take for themselves so they could survive. So just think about this with me for a moment. The harvest is plentiful. God is blessing. God's presence brings a greater return. There's more than enough for everyone. And we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the fields to glean. Who are the laborers? What's well, those who are in need? Who amongst you is in need today? I mean, my need changes depending on the hour. You know? I need, I need Jesus. And so that we are to pray that the Lord, to the Lord of the harvest and labors into the harvest is because God's economy means that there's more, there's always enough. In fact, there's more than enough for, for um, everyone. And we're, there's something about being able to go into the harvest field to glean for those of us who are in need to be able to go and get something of God's blessing to take with us. And we're not far from the language we started of, of beholding Jesus to become like him, to be shaped by him, to be transformed into his likeness. Jesus saying is that we need to pray earnestly for laborers to come to where there's plenty. God's presence to, to gather into a place of where God's presence is to gather it and take it to where there is need. It's a prayer that we would come under the blessing of God. Harvest isn't so much about people getting saved, though that, that, you mean that, that is a goal, right? But it's more than that because what happens once you've given your life to Jesus? Huh, well, I need daily saving. And I will always need daily saving until the Lord returns or I see him face to face. I am in, and I would suggest you are, I know enough of you now after being here almost two years, 
that we need more of his presence. We need more of his blessing at work in our lives. It's the shalom of God coming into the lives and onto the lives of all people so that the outsiders who have self-selected out or have been wrongfully told that this is not a place for them can come into a place where they can encounter and meet Jesus and the love that he has for them. It's about chaos being turned into peace. It's about isolation melting into community. It's about the presence of God filling us and touching the very stuff of our lives so that we could dare say, Lord, would you bless the work of my hands? You know, the Lord is with us everywhere we go. Whatever it is you do during the working hours of the day, he's deeply interested in blessing that, whether it's looking after your children full-time, whether it's in a dead-end job that you feel trapped in, you can't escape from, whether it's in relationship that is just where you're a carer or you're sick or whatever it is. The Lord is deeply interested. From the beginning, this is one of the things Matthew is saying here, from the beginning God has been planting his people at the crossroads of the earth. We see the picture in Genesis 3. The word partnership comes in, where for whatever reason, God has chosen to work out his purposes on earth in partnership with the people who follow him. So he's been planting his people at the crossroads of the earth to partner with them so that through his people, chaos can be turned into shalom. When we worship together, when we meet together, when we pray together in our homes, at church, when we glean, when we take, come to Jesus with our need and take from him, whether it's as we meet at the table and we receive his bread, his body, and his blood, whether it's in the worship where we sing something that just affects our heart in a way that suddenly the seeds of hope begin to grow, whether it's over coffee on the way in when we're greeted, I've not asked for his permission, but I'm gonna say that more than a dozen people that I've met this year and three quarters that have been here have been mightily blessed by Ben Luna. Haven't we all? We all have, it's fair to say. And what, I'm just gonna embarrass you publicly and just kinda encourage you, because that's kinda the day we're having. What blesses people when they meet Ben outside in the cold over coffee is that he remembers their name and smiles. And they glean from that that they are known by God. It's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Ben. And if he ever forgets your name, it's my fault because I've jinxed it, right? Yeah. No, we don't believe in jinxing. So, you know, beholding Jesus to become like him or being filled up so that we can be sent out or being blessed in order to be a blessing is deeply, deeply tied into what Jesus is doing 
what he was doing in his day, what he's doing today. The harvest is plentiful. Chaos surrounds us. And some of us this week have a particular taste of chaos in our mouth because of what's happened. And in a moment, we're going to thank God for the way that he's planted two people at the crossroads of St. Bart's and used them mightily. But before we do that, we're going to pray. And uh, I don't want to embarrass anyone. Well, I, I do, actually. I take great joy in embarrassing Ben. But, you know, we want to move gently because some of us for whom the taste of chaos is in our mouth you know, the last thing you wanna do is make it worse by drawing attention to it. So in the quiet of your heart, you know what that looks like. It may be you're sick, it may be a recent diagnosis, it may be something's been done to you, it may be that you need God's compassion, it may be that you need God's justice. Jesus is overturning a religious system that had become a vehicle of injustice created more outsiders than insiders. His kingdom is big, and it welcomes all. And so if you have, maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's a problem at work, maybe it's something that's been done to you, maybe it's whatever it is, um, love to just pause and pray for you. And the prayer it's interesting what Jesus does when he comes into the place of chaos and when you track through the Gospels, as he blesses. Because God's power to bless is infinitely more powerful than any ability to curse. And so I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing. So if, the, if you resonate with any of this in the quiet of your hearts, just going to pause for a moment. And I just want you to, so that no one else can hear, just offer that to the Lord. Just describe to him what that is. And in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I bless you to know that you are fearfully and awesomely made. I bless you to know that you are worthy of his love all day long. I bless you to know that Jesus is working out his purposes in his life. I bless you to know his hope. I bless you to know his love. And I bless you to know his intervention and leading. And so together, just as we transition, let's pray this prayer together that we all know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.